Well, good morning, Brookside. It's, uh, it's great to see you this morning and uh, great to be together. You know, I just, I love this time of year. You know, everything is kicking off and, uh, and in so many ways, isn't it true that uh, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like an opportunity for us to get a fresh start, right? To kind of hit the reset button a little bit. And um, I, I want you to know, and I would ask you, would you join us in this? But our, our prayer and really our desire as we go into the fall uh, as a church is that we would see God very simply. We're just saying, God, would we be able to see you do such great things in our midst over the course of the fall that we would get to the end of the fall and we would look back and we would say, only God could have done that. Only God could have done that in the lives of people. And so I'm just asking you this morning, would you join us in that prayer? And just very humbly, we want to say, God, we want to see you do what we know you long to and what you would love to accomplish in our midst. Um, you know, we're excited this morning to be starting this new series. And uh, it's a series that we really hope will be helpful to you. Uh, a series that I really pray um, will not only inform you, they help you kind of know some things that are very important about God, but it will also be a, a series that will inspire you, that it will really lead you to take even greater uh, steps in your walk with God. Um, I, I hope... Um, that this series also gives you, and I think this is needed, um, particularly from time to time, particularly maybe at a time like this in the year, I hope that this series will give you an opportunity uh, to hit the pause button in the midst of kind of a busyness, the busyness of life. I don't know about you, but it seems like, man, things are just moving fast and there's a lot to do and a lot of activities and all sorts of things. We want this series to be one where you're able to come into this place and maybe ask the questions that you feel like you never have time to ask. We want this series to be a time where you're able to really dig a little bit deeper and go, okay, God, if you offer me this incredible life with you and you desire that for me, Lord, I still, I've got this roadblock over here that I need to deal with. I've still got this question over here that, that's really bothering me, that maybe it's even getting in the way of everything that you would have for me. We hope that this series will be a, a time where you're able to, to really have that opportunity to kind of step back from the busyness and say, okay, God, um, help me, help me through this. I want to say to you this morning, I think it's wise for you to ask hard questions. Um, God is not afraid of our questions. Um, I think it's wise for you to ask hard questions. It's, it's important. A friend of mine said to me recently, he said, I think oftentimes we feel like we're not supposed to ask hard questions of God. And maybe Christians feel that way as well. Um, but it's wise of you too. I love C.S. Lewis, how he put it. He, he said this so well. He said, Christianity, if, if false, is of no importance. And then he said this, and if true, is of infinite importance. And then the key line, he said, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. In other words, it is wise for you and I to turn over some rocks that maybe we need to turn over. It's wise for us to look into some things that maybe have been roadblocks to you. So the title of this series is this, I want to believe, but. I want to believe, but, but very simply, I've got questions. And it's true, a lot of people have questions. Um, a lot of people go through years of their lives, maybe even decades. Um, what's really a tragedy is someone goes through their entire lifetime and they've got a question that they never get answered about God or they never make any progress toward getting it answered. And it leaves them in a place that they never experience the goodness and the grace and the love of God. And so in this series, we just want to applaud this idea of we want to ask questions because we want to fully understand the reality of who God is. Now let me just say on the front end, we are not going to be able to, nor will we pretend to answer every question. Um, but what we're going to do is this. We're going to take a good swing at some of the top ones. We're going to look at some of the questions that rise to the top for a lot of people. 
Questions that, that, that a lot of people would say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus Christ, but that question, that unanswered, that rock that I'm not willing to overturn, that's the thing that keeps me away from him. So t- let me tell you a little bit about where we're going in the coming weeks, some of the questions that we'll be looking at, and then we'll jump in for this morning. Next week, we're going to answer a very important question. Tim's going to tackle this one. It's, I want to believe, but can I trust the Bible? Now, here at Brookside, We teach from the Bible every single week when we gather. And on top of that, we encourage you. We do everything we can. That's why there's pamphlets on your your chairs this morning, that 365. We encourage you to be reading this on your own. So this is a critical question for us. Can I trust the Bible? Is it reliable? Can I trust it? The following week, we're going to answer this question. I want to believe, but why would a good God allow so much suffering? Some of you have felt this question so deeply, and we want to do our best to lean into it. Others of you, you watch the news, and you intake the news for about five minutes, and you ask this kind of a question. Wow, why would God allow this? Well, what's behind all of that? Week four, I want to believe, but can there be just one true religion? That's a great question. We're going to dive into it. And then finally, in the last week, I've heard this one often. I want to believe, but why are there so many hypocrites? Why so much hypocrisy among Christians? And so we're going to look at that. And we're going to say, okay, well, what does Jesus think about that? You know, maybe you want to believe, but you've been hurt. Maybe you want to believe, but you've been let down. Maybe you want to believe, but someone in your life, you would even say, it's a Christian, actually, that's keeping me away from God. You want to believe, but you've seen hypocrisy lived out so many times that it's distorted your view of God. Or maybe the way that you were raised up, it gave you a picture of who God is. Or maybe you want to believe, but again, it's just that one question. It's just that one thing. If you could have some insight into it, it would inform you, and it might even allow you, and this is our prayer, it might allow you to get around that roadblock. And to be able to see God for who he truly is. And that might open a door for you that God longs for you to walk through. Now I know this, and we do this at the front end of a lot of our series. Um, We just say, God, would you really bless and lead this series? But i got to say, this series I think is a tall challenge, isn't it? We're going to answer some hard questions together. Um, And so I'm going to ask you, even right now together, I would love for us to just kind of time out and just say, God, pray together and just say, God, would you bless and would you lead and would you guide our series? So yeah, would you, uh, would you do that with me now? Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for every person that's, that's come here today. And um, Father, we just very humbly, we just want to say to you, God, we give you this series. God, we give you the fall, this semester. And Lord, we just say, Lord, we just say, we want to see you do such incredibly good things in our midst. And so, God, would you speak to us? God, I pray that I wouldn't be heard or any other teacher on this platform, but, God, that we would hear from you, that you would speak to us. You know who's here each and every week. And, Father, we just pray that you would have a word for us that we would hear and that we would receive. And so, Father, we pray for life impact, and we love you, and we thank you that you know us, that you care for us, and that you long to continue to grow in our walk with you. And so we pray this, and we commit this series to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When I was growing up, there was uh, a gal in the church where we attended that I saw nearly every single week. And every time I saw this woman, it was very clear that she had one thing on her mind. There was one thing that was very true about her. You could just see it on her face, and it was this. She was angry. She was angry all the time. And my parents um, were 
gracious to her. They're gracious to her and her family. They actually modeled something very special for me in this. And so we engaged with this woman a lot. And I remember as I grew up, I became less intimidated by her, and I began to feel more for her. And it was evident, though, when you talked to her, it was evident that she was angry about everything. She was angry about her husband. She was angry about her kids. She was unhappy with her grandkids. She was angry about the church. She was angry about their home. All sorts of things. This woman was angry. Now, I haven't seen her in 20 plus years, but I can tell you this. I have an image, crystal clear image in my mind of her facial expression that I would see every single week, and it was the expression like this. It was a scowl. It was anger. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the face of God this morning, what image comes to mind? Let me take that even to a deeper level. When you think about what God thinks about you, what facial expression do you think comes to the face of God? What image comes to your mind when you think about God thinking about you? Up here with me this morning is Aaron Wang Grace. Aaron, welcome. It's good to have you up here. And uh, I just want to say this about Aaron really quick. He's going to be doing some painting while I'm teaching this morning. But Aaron uh, really blessed us. He painted the murals, mural out in the, uh, the care center um, that we just opened a few weeks ago. Did a fantastic job. And this morning what he's going to do is he's going to paint the face of Jesus. Now, we obviously don't know exactly what Jesus looked like, do we? But when we look at the New Testament, when we look through the Gospels, we get glimpses into the life of Jesus Christ that help in, in, inform that. And so, Aaron, thank you. It's, uh, it's so fun, isn't it, to see people use their gifts for God. We celebrate that around here all the time. Everybody's got a gift, and Aaron has a gift. And for us to be able to see that this morning is a privilege. So, uh, so thank you, Aaron. Well, this morning, the question that we've got before us is this. I want to believe, but isn't God just an angry God? Isn't God just a God that is up in heaven and he's mad all the time? He's looking at you. He's looking at this crazy divided world. And his overarching expression is a scowl. He's an angry God. Maybe you've wondered this. If you wondered, it has the face of God. Do you, do you feel like sometimes that God, the overarching thing that would characterize God and his expression on his face towards you would be one of disappointment, be one of absolute disapproval. And you maybe even think to yourself, maybe it would be better if I just lived my life and, and I tried to do it as decently as I, I can and I just ignore God because he's an angry God and that doesn't make me want to come near, it makes me want to be far from him. And so maybe I'll just do my best and I'll, just, I'll do my best, I'll get through life and we'll just see how it turns out in the end. Does the face of God in your mind, does it look upset? Does it continually look disappointed and angry. If you've ever heard someone say, a good friend of mine put it like this, God wouldn't want anything to do with me if he truly knew who I was. He would have nothing to do with me. That's the face of an angry God, isn't it? That's the face of not a God that is approachable, even with the shortcomings that all of us have. That's the kind of God that you could say is, their face is described as angry and even hostile. Now, whether it's because of the things that you were told growing up or somebody shaped your view of God, my prayer for you this morning is that you would look at the, the, the face of God from the scriptures and you would see the character of God as we look at it and you would maybe reform and you would say, oh, I've been mistaken in that. And so my goal is that you'd walk out of here. We're going to open up the scriptures together. We're going to look at in the Old Testament and then we're going to look at a story in the New Testament. And my hope is that maybe there's some things in, in your life that, that you'll just go, some images maybe, some faulty images that you'd say, okay, God's word dispels those images that I've had of God. 
And so first, let's go to the Old Testament. We're going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 34. Turn there with me. Now in this passage, let me just set this up a little bit. The Lord is really making a, you could say he's making a reintroduction to, of himself to Moses. Now the context here though, is, and it's important, the context is that the people of God aren't really acting like the people of God. The context is that the people of God who have been delivered out of bondage, they've been delivered out of slavery, they're not acting as though they've been delivered. They're not acting as though they've experienced God's love. and his, They're not acting as though they've seen God do miraculous things. They're not acting as though they've been closer to the living God than anyone else. They're not acting that way. And instead, what we see in Exodus chapter 32 is this. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments. But while he's getting the Ten Commandments, the people begin to get impatient. And so it says this. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain... They gathered around Aaron, so kind of like leader number two, and they said, come, make us gods who will go up before us. For as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt and delivered us and brought us here, we don't know what has happened to him. And so while Moses then is bringing down the Ten Commandments down Mount Sinai, all the people, God's people, are breaking the first two commandments. And so what they've done is they've they've fashioned in the form of, with their hands, they've fashioned a God and they're beginning to worship that God. Now, if there was ever a time when God could have been extremely angry, there was ever a time when God could have just flown off the handle, he could have just lost it, kind of a kick the dog moment, kind of a moment with a scowl on his face. This would have been one of those moments. But in the midst of their rebellion, Moses pleads with God and God then remains faithful to his promise. And so then God kind of, we see In Exodus chapter 34, we see God kind of reintroduce himself to Moses. Let me ask you, if you were introducing yourself to me, what words would you use? Would there be a phrase maybe that you would use or a couple, couple, three, four words that you'd put together? In Exodus 34, God is painting this picture. He's saying, this is who I am. This is my character. This is who you can count on. He's taking all of the guesswork out of it. And so it says this in verse 6 of chapter 34. It says, and, Moses, or, and he, the Lord here, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then it says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Verse 8. And Moses, it says, when he heard this, he bowed down to the ground and at once he worshipped. Now let's first unpack that second verse that we looked at. God is saying very clearly, I am a God of justice. And, and, And you and I wouldn't want it any other way. He's saying that he will act justly to all, including those that no matter how eager God is for them to experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness, that God will act justly to those who continue to reject him. But notice his introduction. In the midst of a time when God could have been so angry and so marked by a scowl on his face, notice how he introduces himself. In the midst of what could have been an angry situation, God is controlled and he reveals his character. And so he says this, Moses, this is who I am. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord. I am compassionate and the gracious God. That's a God I need. I love it when people give me compassion, don't you? Don't you love it when people give you a second chance? Don't you love it when people express compassion to you? 
Ask yourself this morning, what expression do you think is on the face of God? Next he says this, I am slow to anger. Do you ever struggle, let me ask you, do you ever struggle with a quick temper? Do you ever fly off the handle? I do. It's not the character of God. It's not the character of God. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's not just waiting for you to slip up so he can pounce. That's not who he is. And then it says that he's abounding. It's painting this picture of this overflowing, he says, abounding in love and faithfulness. Hebrews 13 says, never, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Some of you are fatherless. You are motherless. And God says to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then it says this, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I think it's like God saved the best part for last. It's this picture of a people who have sinned, people who stray from God. Now, I think all of us would put ourselves in that camp of sinners. And if you don't this morning, that's fine. Um, If you're unsure about it, just ask the people that you came with at lunch. Just say, hey, before we eat, do you think I'm a sinner? Just ask them. They'll, They'll probably tell you. I bet they will. Do you ever mess up? I love this. In the midst of their rebellion, what does God say? I am the God of abounding love, of forgiveness. I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is the God, not of a scowl marking his character and his face, but it is a God of forgiveness and grace. Now, a question that you might have, and it's a good one. Do, you ever, do we ever see God angry in the scriptures? Answer. Yes. Exodus 32 is a great example of it. Just flip back a couple chapters. But know this. God's anger, it is always targeted, it is always controlled, and it is always just. When I get angry, it's response. That's not the character of God. And know this. This is so important. The things that anger God are the things that hurt people and drive people away from him. The things that God gets upset about are the things that take his children away from him. So that's Exodus 34. It's this Old Testament look, okay, what what are the words that God uses to describe himself? What is the expression that you could begin to paint on the face of God? If you've got this question this morning, I want to believe, but I think God is just an angry God. The other place that you need to go is this. If you really want to know what the character of God is like, you have got to study the life of Jesus Christ. You know, this morning when you leave here, um, we've got these for you in the the back. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of these. It's the Gospel of John, one of the books in the New Testament. And the reason why we want to give you something like this is, is because you can have an informed view of who God is if you read the Scriptures. And it's so incredibly important. And so if we want to know who God is, we have to look deeply, educatedly into the life of Christ. Here's why. First John, or John chapter 1 verse 18 says this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. In other words... If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what is the driving expression on the face of God, if you want to know, is God just disappointed in me all the time? If you want to have answers to those questions, study in depth the life of Jesus Christ. That's why we call him Emmanuel. We are so gifted. God appeared to us in flesh. That was Jesus, a gift to us. 
the most informed answer that you can have to that question, is God just an angry God? The most way you can get informed is to study the life of Jesus Christ. As I thought about this message and and I thought about this question, you know, I want to believe, but isn't God always angry? My mind kept going back again and again to this story in the New Testament, in John chapter 8. I want to take you there now. And what I love about this story is this. It's a story that I think it encapsulates in a lot of ways a lot of these different glimpses that we get of who Jesus, who God is throughout the New Testament. And so flip there with me now. John chapter 8, verse 1 is where we'll start. And I'll I'll just read through this entire story and then we'll go back and we'll unpack a few things. Here it is, verse 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and it says, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts. Again, we're asking this question, church, what is the expression of God? What marks the character of God? It says, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And people approached Jesus. Now know this, they approached him all the time. He was such, you could say, he was so respected as a church leader, as a spiritual leader. There was no one more famous than him on this front. People busted through crowds to try to get in front of him, to try to be with him. Verse 3 says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, though, they brought a woman caught in adultery. Notice that she was caught in the act of adultery. It says that they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was, here it is, caught in the act of adultery. Now stop right there. Jesus is the most famous moral teacher of the day. What do you think his response is going to be to this incredibly immoral woman? What do you think is going to mark his face? Do you think he's going to be in rage? He's going to be so angry. He's going to have the kick the dog moment. How is he going to respond Back to the text, but Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, this is a famous line in the Bible. He says, let anyone of you who is without, without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8, again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, they, those who heard him, they began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus, then it says, he straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And when you hear a story like that, one of the first things that I always kind of wonder is this. What was Jesus writing in the dirt? Ever wonder stuff like that? Like in heaven, I'd be like, what were you doing in the dirt? Like, was he just, was he drawing stick figure? Like, what was he killing time? And we, we have no idea what he was doing. So a lot of people, they, they conjecture on a lot of different ideas of, of what Jesus might have been drawing there in the dirt. I, I tend to kind of like this one and wonder if this one maybe is true. And again, we won't know until, until heaven, but I wonder if this, I wonder if Jesus wasn't writing the names of those men, starting with the oldest and, and going on down the, the chain, and he wrote their name, and then next to their name, he wrote their sin. So the oldest sees him doing this, and he sees his name. Oh, that's interesting. And then next to it, it says adultery. And then maybe even in parentheses, also. And so then the next person walks over, and they see it, and that older guy, he drops his stone, he walks away, and then the next person goes over, and he sees his name. And then next to his name, cheats on taxes. The person's like, oh, crap, he knows me, right? (laughs) Bummer. We don't know. We don't know what Jesus was doing there, but we know this. Whatever he was doing, it motivated these people to, to walk away. But think about this. Think about the woman. 
Try to put yourself into this moment. Think about this woman. We don't know anything about, we don't know her name. The only way that we know of this woman is by how she's described. And she is described by this, the woman caught in adultery. And if everything would have played out as it should have that day, this should have been her last moment. The way that she met Jesus was horrifying. She was dragged into church. Imagine this. It was happened in the temple. She's brought before Jesus. I mean, it would have been horrifying. It would have been incredibly shaming to her. And if everything would have played out as it should, she should have died. She should have been stoned for her infraction of the law. Imagine that. She's not going to be able to go home. She's not going to be able to tell her husband, hey, this is what really happened. Don't let me explain. I'm so... Her kids wouldn't have known if she had kids. They would have remembered their mom. This last moment, who's your mom? Well, my mom was the one that was stoned at the church because she was caught in adultery. Imagine the shame that this woman must have felt. But when she, don't miss this, when she meets Jesus, she gets a picture of who God is. And it is so informative for you and I. Just imagine, though, the shame she must have felt. But notice Jesus' response to her. Verse 10. It says that Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus didn't fly off the handle. You might think that he would have. You might have thought that Jesus would have said, I knew you were going to mess up again. I knew you would have your moment. I knew you'd get dragged into this church. I knew it. That's not what he said to her. He didn't condemn her. When I was 16 years old, I got in a a bad car accident, and it was my fault. Imagine that. 16-year-old gets in a car accident, and there's their fault. Now, I get to the hospital, and I told two cars that I had hit, and so I'm in the hospital, and I'm waiting for my parents to show up, and I'm thinking to myself, this car accident didn't kill me, but I think my dad might, and he gets here. You ever had that, you know, in that situation? But I'll be honest, I learned something that day. I learned something that had been true all of my life, but I learned something about my dad. Because as soon as he came into the room, I was thinking all about the car, all about the car. And I said to him, I said, I'm so sorry about your car. And he looked at me so disgusted that I had said anything about the car. And he said, don't, stupid car, it doesn't matter about the car. It matters about you. I saw my dad in this new light that day. It was, it was, it was awesome. And I knew it was always true, but it just, it just played out right there before me. After the most famous verse in the Bible, here it is, John 3, 16. God, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then it says this in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Know this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn you. He didn't send his son into the world to die a brutal death for your sin just because he was angry. He sent his son into the world to save you because of his love for you. And when he looks at your sin, he's not so much like his overarching, does God ever get angry? Yes, most definitely. But God loves you as a child and he longs to have you back. He longs for the things that that keep you away from him to be taken away. I love this. Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now in the original language of the translation here, those two words, no condemnation, this is how they translate. No condemnation. 
None. Absolutely none for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that sit a little bit. That means that on the face of Jesus Christ, when he thinks about you and when he thinks about your your mess-ups and your mistakes, raging anger does not mark his expression. You know what does? Compassion. He's abounding in love. God didn't send his one and only son because he was angry. He sent his son because he's abounding in love and grace and compassion. He's saying to you when he sent his son, he's saying to you, you are worth it. Second Peter chapter 3, it says that God wishes that none would perish, meaning God wishes that no one would experience life apart from him. That's why when you experience the love and the grace of God, more than anything else, you want other people to experience it because you know you don't deserve it and you know just how good it truly is. You see, this woman that was caught in adultery, her sin did not surprise Jesus. He was not shocked by it at all. Not at all. When our oldest son, Aiden, was born, somebody, one of our friends was in the hospital with us, and, and they said to me that day, they said this, they said, you're going to learn more about being, you're going to learn more about God as a parent than maybe you ever have before in your life. And I was thinking they should have said, you're going to need God more as a parent <laughs> than you ever have in your life, right? But their point was this. Their point was when you have a child, you're going to see an aspect of God that maybe you've heard about, but you've never quite understood Because isn't it true, no matter how much any of my three children make me angry, at the end of the day, they're my kids. They're my kids. And their behavior doesn't change the bottom line of my love. And neither does it for you, if you're a parent. I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to in this church. And as a pastor, you get to hear from people like this. Parents who have said, my kids are breaking my heart. My kids are gone off, they've done this and that, and it's just killing me. But you know what I've never seen before in all of those instances? I've never seen someone sharing and for the overarching tone to be one of anger. I'm so mad at them, I can't believe this. They did this and that, can you believe that? And they're just angry. I've never seen that. Instead, what I see time and time again is a parent will say it with tears. They will say, it breaks my heart that they are living this way because I see the pain that it's causing them. I believe Jesus looked at this woman and his heart was burdened for her and he wished that she didn't have to carry around her sin any longer, but that she could find him. And you know how we know that? Look at what he says next. Jesus never compromises. He says this to the woman. He says, I want you to go now and I want you to, here it is, I want you to leave your life of sin. I want you to go and you, you walk away from the way that you're living because the way that you're living is pulling you away from me and God hates He hates it. He gets a scowl, I think, on his face when he sees things that pull us away from him. But his overarching response to us is one of love and it's of grace. And I believe that that's what he's communicating to this woman. Some of you here today, you would say this, you feel like you're caught. That woman felt caught because she got, she got caught. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you're caught, I want you to know this. God's response to you is not this. I told you so. I just knew that you'd get caught. And I created you so that I could express my anger toward you. 
God doesn't operate that way. Instead, I believe you should hear this morning that God says this to you, I hate to watch you harm yourself and to be apart from me. And I just wish you would come to me and I could take the things that you're carrying and I could carry them. That's why I died on a cross. And my love for you motivated me to go to the cross, not my anger. And so the thing that marks my face and the thing that marks my heart is love and grace and compassion. You see, this woman's adultery, it didn't shock Jesus. And it doesn't shock him when he looks at you. And he doesn't shock him when he looks at my sin. But instead he says, I want to express my love to you. My grace to you. Let me ask you, what facial expression do you think that Jesus has of you? When he sees you, when he thinks about you, what do you think that he looks like? What's on his face? Know this, God delights in our pursuit of him. If you have this image in your mind that, that God is, that the facial expression that he has, it is one of anger and displeasure. I don't blame you for wanting to run away from God. And that's what you'll do. You will continue to do that. And I don't blame you a second. But what you should have is this. I believe this is informed by the scriptures. We should have a view of God that says this, that God looks at us with compassion and grace and forgiveness. And that's why people would fight through crowds to get around him. You know, tomorrow with this big eclipse, I, I think at a certain point tomorrow, people are going to be fighting through some crowds, going to be making some traffic jams. It's, it's going to be crazy because they're going to want to get to the highest point and see this thing unfold. Anybody with me? It's going to be us, isn't it? Right? We'll have our glasses, Right? You know why people would fight through the crowds to be with Jesus? It's because they were seeing him for who he really was. People will long tomorrow to see something that they will have never seen before. Maybe that they'll never see ever again. And here's the thing. When you have a picture of Jesus as he really is, a face that looks at you, I mean, he died for you. That's no joke. He died for you. And when you begin to see him as he really is, it will motivate you to bust through a crowd so that you can see him, so that you can be with him, so that you can experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And so let's pray this morning and let's just say, God, would you inform our view of who you are? So yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And um, God, you're so good to us. And uh, Father, we thank you this morning that you're not the kind of God that, well, we really want to believe, but you are such an angry God. God, that's not who you are. And Father, I thank you for that. And Father, we just pray, and I pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? I've never understood the gospel. I've never understood that the good news of the gospel is that God, out of his love and his grace, sent his son so that I could experience his goodness and his love and his forgiveness. And know this this morning. Don't leave here today without it. When God nudges your heart, respond to it. Do that right now and just say, God, I call out to you this morning. God, you are a good savior. I've put you in a box that I shouldn't have had you in. And God, the face of God, might I see you clearly this morning. Lord, we love you in this place. We pray that we would honor you now as we worship. We pray in Christ's name, amen, amen.